Well, hello, hello. It is good to see you and welcome back to the latest installment of Through the Wealth Lens. I am your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff. And as always, we have our star of the show in Mr. Hannes Grasher, International Private Wealth Advisor over at UBS. He's joining us for another wealth management discussion. That's what we tackle here on the show. And we've got a really, really cool topic dialed up for you guys today. And to kind of set the scene for us, think about it. One mistake that can just be so easy to make is to focus on maybe just one aspect of your financial life. And in doing so, you're going to miss out on opportunities as well as let in some areas for unnecessary risk into your financial life. So today on the show, we're going to be exploring a way to avoid that problem and address really the full range of financial concerns. You've heard us talk about this full range in so many episodes prior. We're going to be diving into this full range really today, uh, you know, using wealth planning and really the topic of our show today. What is wealth planning really? Well, in addition to Hannes and his experience, experience today. We really have a we have an exciting episode because we've got a great guest joining us today and that's Miss Beth Trachtenberg, renowned and international TNE attorney as well as the head of a private client group at Steptoe and Johnson in New York City. We are so excited to have Beth and Hannes with us today to share their expertise. Guys, good to see you today. How are we doing? Thanks for having me today. I'm very happy to be here. Hi Ryan, good to see you again. Yeah, we're super excited to have Beth here was also yeah. part of our virtual family office. Fantastic. No, it's good Good to have you both with us today. I'm excited. Uh, any, always a good time, Hannes, whenever we're able to get a guest with us today. Uh, hey, guys, let's start high level. That's typically what we do here on the show. Uh, wealth planning. It's one of those terms that just many of us have probably heard a handful of times throughout conversations, you know, you name it. But we don't always truly understand what that term really means. So how would you define wealth planning and what does it really do? Well, Ryan, wealth planning is all about examining your full financial picture, not simply investments, although they are, of course, included, but also your advanced needs. These might include wealth protection, tax mitigation, wealth transfer, also known as estate planning, and charitable giving. Armed with a full view of your situation and goals, we can set out to consider and examine a wide variety of financial and legal strategies that might be a good option for you. So, Roger, that, but Beth, in your experiences, is there maybe a critical tool or like a technique that you see on your side that's really common across all wealth planning efforts? That's a very good question, Ryan. Um, the strategies and solutions that we use are always tailored to particular clients and their particular situations, but there are certain core legal strategies and financial products that are generally appropriate for most wealthy families. For example, in many ways, trusts are a cornerstone solution for successful individuals and families. A trust is simply a means of transferring property using an agreement whereby title of assets is transferred to trustees for the benefit of the people that the clients want to take care of who are the trust beneficiaries. Trusts are very flexible wealth planning tools. They're used in all sorts of ways to transfer assets and especially to put parameters around the use of the assets. Clients frequently want to provide for their children, but they want to make sure that the children don't become trust fund babies who are completely reliant on the trust. And they prefer that the trust may be sort of a safety net or to provide for certain specific things like starting a business, buying a house, 
Trust can also be very useful in shielding assets from all different kinds of creditors, the kinds of creditors we think of as typical creditors, but also uh, they can be used to protect assets in a nasty divorce. Depending on the kind of trust that's used, there are also a number of different tax benefits that can result. For example, a trust can enable the client to sell appreciated assets without paying any tax on the increase in the value of those assets from the time they're acquired. And Beth, what are the main type of trusts that we use in wealth planning? Well, there are two broad categories of trusts that we use. One is inter vivos trusts that are set up when the client is still alive, and those can either have gifting purposes or they can be used merely for the purpose of avoiding probate. And then we also have testamentary trusts, which are set up under clients' wills. So a revocable trust allows a client to retain full control over the assets in the trust. The revocable trust, I often explain to clients, is their alter ego. They can add money to the trust. They can change the terms of the trust. They can withdraw money from it. And so there's complete flexibility, but they help the client avoid probate and have a very smooth transition after they die so that the beneficiaries can have pretty much immediate access to the assets, which is very important in a lot of situations. An irrevocable trust is a trust where generally the client can't make any changes. It's a permanent kind of gift. And that's the kind of trust we use when the client wants to do estate planning during their lifetime. So in other words, to create gifts for family members or others. So in order to have the estate planning benefit and to make it a completed gift and get appreciation on those assets out of their estates, the client has to give up control over the assets, which is something clients don't always like to do. Right. I say often to clients, I had $5 for every time a client said, well, I want to make a gift to a trust, but I can still control who uses it and I can take it back if I want it, right? Mm, no, I'd be a very rich woman if I had $5 But that's where the that. tax mitigation comes in, right? That's yes, you exactly. Don't that, right? So unfortunately, there's a limit to how much you can have your cake and eat it too. So when clients transfer control of assets to an irrevocable trust, those assets are outside of their estate as long as they don't maintain too much control over them. So the clients then no longer own the assets. The trustee of the trust does in a legal capacity for the benefit of the trustee. Those trusts can be either grantor trusts, meaning they're still treated as owned by the person who created the trust and that person pays all the taxes on the trust, which is a very useful technique because it in effect allows them to make additional gifts through the payment of the taxes, but they're not treated as gifts because it's the client's tax liability. So they're merely satisfying their own tax liability. And the other kind of trust is a non-grantor trust where the trust pays its own tax. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so a lot of flexibility and versatility within you know using trust as a, a true wealth planning tool. Hannes, in your eyes, wh what's another tool or strategy that you're seeing that's that is typically a component within you know a true wealth plan? 
Sure, Ryan. So one of the, the most effective tools we use for our clients is life insurance. And uh, as we always say, death and taxes are certainties for everyone. And the very wealthy, for instance, can face really hefty taxes on their estates when they pass away. And one wealth planning area that has captured the interest of the affluent is the use of life insurance policies to help pay state taxes. While life insurance can cover estate tax liabilities, this doesn't mean the estate tax will not still need to be paid, right? So, so options are extensions and loans to pay state uh, taxes, um, and they, those can be very useful. However, these approaches can be problematic, especially if the situation involves extensive family businesses and significant non-liquid assets. For some, life insurance is, is a significant component of their overall approach to paying estate taxes. By using life insurance in estate planning, they can more effectively orchestrate the transfer of assets and better protect the family's wealth and their, and their legacy, legacy for future generations. Now, life insurance can be complicated and somewhat opaque. And we always thought of life insurance as boring, but, um, and it's an area where mistakes are common. Some people have too much life insurance and, and others don't have life insurance integrated well enough in, into their estate plan. So it's really vital that you can plan, that you plan very carefully here. Beth, um, can you think of another particularly effective tool you use with your clients? Yes, I don't wanna to get too technical here, but there are a number of different kinds of trusts which are both sanctioned by the IRS and provide a lot of flexibility for clients. One of the types of trusts we use is called a grantor retained annuity trust, which I'll just explain very briefly. The whole idea behind that trust is the client funds the trust with assets they think are likely to appreciate more than the IRS thinks that they'll appreciate. Every month, the IRS publishes a, an interest rate that they think is what assets will earn. So if a client has, for example, a startup business that they think is going to really take off, they could use a grantor retained annuity trust. The idea is that the client retains an annuity that's equal to the full value of what they put in plus what the IRS thinks that it will earn. And so what ends up going to the family afterwards, and this can pass in a further trust, is only what the assets have appreciated to beyond what the IRS thought they would. So I've used this for a lot of clients. It does not involve a taxable gift because the client takes back what the IRS assumes is the full value of what they're putting in. And at the end, if the proper asset has been chosen, a huge amount of money can pass tax-free to further trusts for the family. I have clients who have done this and not used any of their lifetime gift exemption, not paid any gift tax, and passed $100 million or more to family members by just continually using these grants. Um, that's our uh, acronym. We love acronyms in trust and estates. So we have nicknames and acronyms for everything. Um, we also use certain trusts to take advantage of the annual exclusion, which is now $16,000 a year that 
clients can gift to as many people as they want. So a lot of times clients will set up trusts for their children or grandchildren to hold the $16,000 a year that they can use. And that's a really good basic building block of estate planning and the use of trusts. And I love sure that. A lot of our clients are using both of these grads and these and these gifting strategies. Mm -hmm. I would imagine so. And, you know, Beth, we talk, I mean, Hannes and I have a lot of conversations on the show surrounding business owners specifically, or, or even family businesses. So how might wealth planning in your eyes address, you know, the concerns that are facing business owners these days, or just like I mentioned, those families that are in business together? Well, that's a particularly tricky area of estate planning, because um, often families do have closely held businesses and sometimes one or two children are involved in the business and others are not. So there are all kinds of questions about how do you even up the assets among the children? Um, we often use partnerships or LLCs because those have agreements that govern what's going to happen during the client's lifetime and especially after the client's death. Sometimes clients are in partnership with non-family members and there's always a concern about, well, what's gonna happen when one dies? Does the surviving partner wanna be in business with let's say the surviving spouse of the deceased partner? No, generally not. So a uh, partnership structure or LLC structure can have buyout provisions or provisions where the surviving family members can share in the economics of the business, but not in the control. So that's a very important thing to focus on, which a lot of times clients who come to me just have not thought about. They're so intent on growing the business and they're not thinking about their deaths, of course. So they're just not focused on that aspect. And I'm sure that's, you know, they, they really just focus on running the business. And, yes. and I know that we're in an area where there's going to be huge amounts of wealth transferred in the next 10 years in the forms of privately held business. So this is really an area that's crucial um, in advanced planning. Yes. Man. And one point that I want to make, because it's really important, is that if clients think that they may have a liquidity event on the horizon, that's the time to plan. It's very much more difficult to plan when clients call me and say, oh, I'm selling my business next month and I have a deal sheet. We're about to sign a contract. Then it's not as easy to do really effective planning because one of our key tools in planning is to look at uncertainties and whether they're minority interests and whether maybe it's hard to sell the business. So there are liquidity issues and transfer issues. And when those issues still exist, we can discount the interests that are being transferred so that major interest can be transferred with less use of clients overall lifetime exemption amount, which right now is historically high at $12.06 million per individual. Wow. And Ryan, well, that's actually one of the reasons why we bring in Beth, um, you know, much, much earlier um, when we know that a client may have a liquidity event in two years from now, or they're thinking about it. So it's really the advanced planning that is so crucial to make it, you know, a lot more effective. Right. Sure, sure. Is my real goal is to 
as I put it in sort of layman's terms, to stuff as much value into the $12.06 million exemption as possible. So if the planning's done right with the discounting, you could get maybe $20 million or more worth of value out without paying gift tax. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, well, guys, there's no denying there is a mountain of technical aspects that are infused within wealth planning as a whole. But Hannes, in your eyes, you know, what what about wealth planning goes beyond maybe those technical aspects, maybe even more interpersonal aspects that, that come into wealth planning? Talk to us about this. Uh, yeah, I think it's actually very important to recognize that effective wealth planning isn't exclusively about technical expertise. You know, we call it the human element, and it's it's too often overlooked. In other words, any plan needs to take into account the emotional part of transferring wealth and the family dynamics. But any wealth manager you enlist for help or guidance should adhere to seven ideals, all of which work together and should be treated as prerequisites in any situation. And those seven ideals are flexibility, discretion, transparency, cohesiveness, risk sensitivity, and at the end, cost effectiveness. All right, so seven big ideals there. I want to pick apart each one because obviously there are seven for a reason here, Hadis. Let's get into the first three you had mentioned, uh, flexibility, discretion, and transparency. Walk, walk us through these three. Yeah, so take flexibility. So effective wealth planning can change and adapt to your evolving circumstances, as well as to shifts in financial and legal environments. For example, if there's a new tax act that's being passed that could have an effect on, on certain planning strategies, right? Successful elite wealth planners are flexible, accommodating, well-informed and capable of quickly identifying and analyzing the range of anticipated scenarios. So, uh, you know, the second one is discretion. A high degree of discretion is also a requirement for any professional. As it relates to wealth planning, discretion regarding specific legal strategies or financial products can help avoid unwanted attention, unnecessary levels of questioning and retroactive changes to rules. And then third, the third one is transparency. In many situations, neither you nor a wealth planner would benefit from sharing the intricacies of a sophisticated or customized legal or financial solution. Nonetheless, it's important for each solution to be as transparent as possible and open to scrutiny by appropriate authorities like the IRS, for example. Moreover, operational transparency is also a necessity. Yeah, yeah, guys, I mean, a lot to unpack within each of these seven. Beth, I understand you subscribe to these seven as well. Would you care to take us maybe through the next few in uh, co cohesiveness? And then I, I believe risk sensitivity was another big one. Yes, these are critically important. Um, cohesiveness is particularly important. While the legal strategies and financial products of wealth planning can be employed on a standalone basis, that's not ideal. A certain degree of integration and coordination should inform all wealth planning because this helps ensure that the client's goals and objectives remain the focus of all efforts and potentially enable various legal strategies and financial products to work in concert with each other for better outcomes. That's why I am a big fan of working with other professionals in what I call 
a virtual family office where the trust and estates attorney brings in the wealth advisor, insurance experts, maybe accountants, and we all work together in the planning process to avoid coming up with solutions in a silo or vice versa. And I think it makes the planning much more effective because sometimes clients will tell one of their advisors certain things and another advisor other things. And so when we all put our heads together, we get a more complete picture. It's also more enjoyable to work as a team. And I, I know we've been, we've discussed several cases, obviously clients remain um, unnamed, but where you, <laughs> had to, where you had to fix a trust um, that was done in a silo. It didn't really take into account the overall situation of the family. So I, uh, so again, that's one thing that we try to avoid yes. in this virtual family office approach where we really try to get together early and, um, and find out where um, a client's gaps may be. Yes, and turning now to risk sensitivity, the spectrum of wealth planning solution range solutions range from plain vanilla to very sophisticated and sort of exotic. And without stepping over any legal boundaries, there's ample room to be creative, but it's critical that the client and other trusted advisors understand the level of risk that any particular plan has and the client's comfort with that. I work with certain clients who will pay literally millions of dollars of tax that we advise them they might be able to avoid, but they might end up being audited. They might have to settle. They probably won't have to litigate if they do settle. And some clients say, yes, absolutely, of course. Why would I leave money on the table? Other clients say, I don't care. I'd rather just pay all the tax that could possibly be assessed against me and I'll sleep at night and I don't have to worry about anything. So very, very important to understand what a client's views are on those issues. Sure. And then Hannes, there were a few others in uh, cost of effectiveness that we wanted to jump into. Talk to us a little bit about this because at the end of the day, sure, you want to make cost effective decisions, but also lump them into your, your wealth plan as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cost effectiveness, Effectiveness absolutely has to be there. It has to be a component. There are times when the cost of the possible solution is much greater than the benefits it is likely to deliver. And that's when more mainstream solutions or plain vanilla solutions may be sufficient. And if you want to make sure that wealth planning is effective, we'll carefully weigh the benefits of a recommended course of action against both its financial and psychological costs. Roger that. And then Beth, I believe you ha even have maybe a bonus one if, if we do, do say, uh, walk me through this. Wealth planning should never incorporate tools or techniques that are or may be perceived to be illegal or unethical. Um, I never cross those lines, considering how much good to be can be accomplished while operating fully within the law. There is no reason to cross those lines. I have a couple of outlying clients who call me up and try to get me to agree to do things. And I say, we're absolutely not discussing that. <laughs> that is a terrible idea. No, but there are plenty of great planning techniques that are firmly on the right side of the line. And so there's a lot of good that can be done with those techniques. Yeah, we all have those clients. Yeah. Yes, they're, they're a challenge. A aggressive, right? <laughs> exactly. And they think they know everything, right? Oh, they do, <laughs> but they think that. 
Exactly. Well, guys, look, we've we've packed a lot of beneficial information for our audience surrounding this idea of wealth planning. Sure, there are these seven or really eight with Beth adding legitimacy there. Uh, eight really, you know, key ideals, those interpersonal, that human element, uh, you know, side of characteristics and elements that are added into a wealth plan. But then, of course, there's the technical side as well. So we've really given our audience a lot to think about. And as we're kind of bringing our conversation to a head, uh, do either one of you maybe have some final thoughts if you were to just bottom line today's episode and address that question of what is wealth planning really you know any final thoughts you might want to leave our audience with today i mean we always advise our clients to kind of stress test their all their plans their advanced plans you know circumstances change somebody gets married get divorced they have kids um and it's really a good idea to to go over these plans every every few years or so to make sure that no changes uh need to be made and that everything that you put into place is still working correctly. And uh, so that's just something we encourage people to do, to not just, you know, wealth planning is not just uh, sort of like going to the gym once and then you've exercised for the rest of your life. It's something that's an ongoing process that you should, where you should involve all your, all your experts um, to help you make sure you're, you know, on the right track and stay on the right track. Fantastic. And and Beth and Hannes, for anybody out there in the audience today that really benefited from today's conversation, and maybe they want to reach out to you and your respective team to just pick their brain or, you know, see where they align, maybe even go through that stress testing process, what would be the best way they can get in touch with you and your team? So we'll have a link um, on the video that's that has Beth's information and my information as well. And you can go to our website. Uh, to to look at this and, and listen to the recording of this podcast. And um, otherwise, you could call us here at uh, 212-713-8952. And we'll, we'll take a look and see if you can, you can benefit from the stress test. Fantastic. Well, look, you both are very busy individuals. You've got some clients to serve and get, you know, get attending to. So I will let you guys go, but I appreciate you carving some time out of your day to be with us and walk through this idea of, of not only those technical aspects, but also those interpersonal key elements that are all woven together uh, to create a, an efficient wealth plan. So thank you so much and uh, looking forward to having you on the next one, Hannes. Thanks, thanks, thanks Ryan. Thanks so much, Ryan and, and thanks, Hannes. Beth. Thanks for, for joining us. Thank you. Absolutely. It was a real treat to have you, Beth. And hey, look, we want to say one final thank you to our audience. That's you guys for jumping aboard and being with us on the show here today. Do us a favor. If you like today's conversation, you benefited from it in any way, do us a favor, subscribe to the show, whichever platform you checked us out on today, and then share this information with any friends, family, or business owners. Because at the end of the day, we're taking strategies, solutions, and conversations, really, that Hannes is having with his clients on a regular basis. And we're bringing them right here to you guys on this show, which means we've got great conversations in future episodes, and we would hate to have you miss out on any of those. So for Hannes and for Beth, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long, but we appreciate you jumping aboard and being with us on today's installment of Through the Wealth Lens. This communication is intended to be used for educational purposes only and does not constitute a solicitation to purchase any security, insurance, or advisory service. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. An investment in any security involves significant risks, and any investment may lose value. Refer to all risk disclosures related to each security product carefully before investing. This commentary is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be replied upon as investment advice 
or the basis for making any investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed may not be officially those of UBS Financial Services Incorporated and the firm does not verify nor guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information presented. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services Incorporated offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC registered broker dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products and services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at ubs.com slash relationship summary.